0: A privilege to read the Bible this morning. There's two readings that I will be reading. If you would like to get the black Bibles that are in the seats in front of you out, and first of all, turn to John chapter 20, it's on page 1050. Put your finger there once you've found it. That will be our second reading, and then flip. Over further towards the back to Romans chapter 8, page 1132, and I'll commence reading from Romans 8, verse 5. So from Romans 8, beginning at verse 5: Those who live according to the flesh "'Nor can it do so. "'Those who are in the realm of the the flesh cannot please God. "'You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, "'but are in the realm of the spirit, "'if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. "'And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, "'they do not belong to Christ.' But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of Of His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And then over to John. Chapter 20, starting at verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and side. They are not forgiven. These are powerful words from our God.
1: Good morning, everyone. Great to see you here. Let me get myself organized. Let me just say... um, Ray Galea, who was here last week, mentioned that he'd written a book on Romans 8, which we have taken the title of the series from, and I've actually taken an illustration from. Uh, if you would like to get a copy of that book, just let us know on the Connect card uh, that that is the case. Uh, we'd love to get one to you, that'd be a wonderful thing. Um, I'll get some ordered in the next week or two, so just let us know on the Connect cards. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that we can be here. We thank you for your love. That you are our father we thank you for the lord jesus who makes that possible by his death and resurrection and we thank you this day for your holy spirit who opens our eyes and works in us so that we know you and can live for you and we pray your spirit would work powerfully in our hearts this day as we listen to your word in jesus name amen now if you had read some of the material earlier, I wrote that this would be called the person, power and presence of the Holy Spirit. I am going to speak on the Holy Spirit but as I look through this chapter that we're looking at today, uh, the thing that struck me was it's, uh, the section at hand is really about transformed lives and it's about the struggle and the battle and the need to actually have a life that is living for God. And so I want to start by asking a question, is it actually possible to truly and deeply change who we are? It's a very important question to ask. Now, you could make significant amounts of money in the world if you can back up the claim to change people's lives. Uh, the world is full of people who are offering the promise of a changed life, there's no doubt about that. And you'll see all sorts of stories in magazines about people who've had their lives changed. The most common one, I think, is people who've lost weight uh, and diets. And I didn't want to bore you, or I didn't think it's actually that edifying either to see pictures of the before and after of people on their success stories. And there's lots of them. Um, But I did want to tell you one story of a before and after of a quite remarkable woman uh, who, seven years after graduating from uni, she really thought she was a failure. And her name is J.K. Rowling. And it's a fascinating story. Did you know she applied to go to Oxford University? And their response was, not good enough. She was not accepted. She went to Exeter University. She graduated in 1986 with a BA. And seven years after she'd graduated, she described her life as being a failure. She had had a marriage that had failed a number of years and it had ended. She was jobless, she had a dependent child now and she said it was quite liberating. Now fascinating that she would say that, she said it actually liberated her to start writing and she wrote what we now know as the famous book Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. She'd been working on it for many years, now the interesting thing is I think there's about 10 publishing houses she went to before she could get one that would publish it, Uh, the first run was so big it was only 1,000 books. (laughs) Now by the time she's finished the series, seven books, four of the books are the four fastest books that have sold in history. Uh, She's personally worth over a billion dollars, the whole Harry Potter enterprise, apparently is worth 15 billion dollars. And it makes you realise you shouldn't give up on your life dreams. It's really an inspiring story of transformation. Now, is that what we're talking about today, uh, that you've come in here and I'm going to promise to transform your life like that? Well, if that's what you're after, I'm very sorry to say you'll be disappointed. I actually want to talk about a more profound change. It's really about our hearts and who we are under God and the issues that we may struggle with. And I wonder this morning, as you come here, and if you were asked the question, what is it you most want to change in your life, what would it be? Now, no doubt for some of us, it may be the circumstances in our life, but I wonder if there's people here today who struggle with porn. I wonder if there's others who the issue that you struggle with is anger. Or maybe it's a critical spirit that just the way you look is always dark It's always critical. You can never see the bright side of life. I'm sure there'll be others here who actually your issue is you just can't say no. And what really drives you is the approval of others. You're what they call a people pleaser. Uh, It may be, and I'm sure there are people here who are like this, that you're a workaholic. You actually can't say no to work. It's what drives you, what gives you meaning. It defines you. And you can never turn off. I'm sure there's others... The struggle you have is actually with substance dependence it may be alcohol it may be drugs there'll be others you're control freaks you just have to control not just yourself but everything in your life and those around you anxiety and fear perhaps it's greed perhaps it's immorality now I can just keep going on and on there's issues that They're not, if I can say, outside of this building. They're the issues that I think we struggle with here, and I know that because I talk to you. I hear the stories. And what I want to ask, is it possible that in these issues, God can change us? Because the Bible and God himself is interested in transforming us from people who are selfish to people who resemble the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of the things that is deep in my heart in terms of the vision for the ministry here as we grow God's church through the gospel is to make disciples who share Jesus' love, grace and truth. That's what I want us to be known by. The love of God that comes from us, the truth of God that we speak to others, the grace of God that is so evident in our lives for how we've been changed. And I want to say three things today. Um, Firstly, there's... um, Oh, I've jumped ahead slightly. A condition we must acknowledge, a power we must embrace, and a relationship we must develop. And what we're going to look at is who we are and the way the Spirit of God, when we accept Christ, gives us a power to be able to have our lives changed. Well, let's look first, if you've got your Bibles there, do open up, we page 1132, Romans 8. Uh, we're looking at verses 5 to 7. And the first thing that strikes me here is um, there's actually a condition that we've got to acknowledge about ourselves if we are to ever change and it's a profound condition it's what the bible calls here the flesh you see um, when you think about yourselves and these are the people i meet people either think too highly of themselves or too low of themselves Um, some don't struggle with self-esteem what they really have a struggle with they often don't realize it is pride and you'll meet people like that Uh, they're very confident very proud of who they are, very high self-esteem and often they think too much of themselves. There's others who actually think too poorly of themselves and they struggle with self-esteem, they don't think they've got much to offer and they're always worried about who they are. Well is that what we're talking about? No, we're talking about something much deeper than that. We're talking about our very nature, we're talking about who we are under God and as you read through this section... Um, And Romans 8 in particular mentioned many times, I think there's 12 uses of the word in Romans chapter 8, it's the word flesh. And that word can mean in the scriptures just literally our physical bodies, our flesh and bones. But here in Romans 8, what it's talking about is your very nature, the way you are orientated. And the word flesh here used by Paul literally means our rebellious human nature, it's our inclination, our uncontrollable desire to serve ourself and put ourselves first and it's what drives us and it's interesting, have a look at um, verses 5 to 7, it says, those who live according to the flesh, in other words, their life is under the control of the flesh, they have their minds set on what the flesh desires... And there's almost this sense of separation in the way Paul is talking about people, that there's something within us that drives us. He says in verse 6 the mind governed by the flesh is death. And so the way we think about the world is governed by our nature. And we'd like to think that we're objective in the way we think, but the reality is we're not. We've got a nature that is sinful, it's inward bent, it's away from God. And it actually controls the way we think about life, which then controls how we live life. And what Paul says is very striking, it's very strong. Verse 7, the mind governed by the flesh, in other words, we the under control of this nature of ours, is actually hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Now, it's a very bleak picture of humanity that Paul is painting a picture of. It's saying you can't escape this nature that we have that keeps orientating away from God and inward towards ourselves. There's a story, and it's a true story, of a man that the preacher and writer Philip Jensen met at his church. I got the story from Ray's book, just to uh, let you know, and I thought it's worth repeating. Philip was talking about the sinful nature of the flesh... And the man came and saw him after church and said that he thought his estimation of the human condition was too bleak. And one thing people will say is, but surely people do good in the world. Yes, well, people do do good things in the world. But that doesn't mean that the things we do, even when they're good, are not tainted by our sinful flesh. And what Paul is saying here, and you have a look particularly at verse 8, he says, "...those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God." And so while people may do good things, we actually cannot please God because we're continually doing it to ignore God, to promote self, to look after self, to control the world around us. And so Philip gave this man a challenge, he said, go and be good for a week, see if you can actually do it. The man said, yep, I'm going to do that, I'm going to be good for a week. So off he went and sought to be good for a week and he came back the next week and Philip asked him, how did you go? And the man responded by saying that it was actually an unrealistic expectation because it was too open-ended just being good. So Philip said, okay, well, let's be more specific. How about I give you a specific challenge this week? Don't lie. You up for that? He said, yes, I'm up for that. So off he went and decided he would not lie for a week. He came back and Philip asked him, how did you go? He said, it was unfair. I've just started working as a real estate agent. Now, to any real estate agents that we may have here today, I encourage you to tell the truth. And I know that can be very difficult for real estate agents, having spoken to some that we have come here at St. Matthew's. And we have a Christian real estate agent who I believe tells the truth. What was this man grappling with? Even when he wanted to do good, he couldn't. And he'd set himself the challenge. And then he'd narrow the challenge down to one specific area of doing good, and yet while he wanted to do good, he was unable to do it. And you see, that's what Paul is talking about. And if you read Romans 7, it says exactly that. The good I want to do, I'm unable to do. And even in our best moments, our nature controls us such that we cannot please God. And I want to stop and just get you to reflect on that. It's a condition we must acknowledge if we are ever to be transformed by God. Our complete inability to please Him. And that we have not got the strength to be transformed by ourselves under Him. We actually need help from above and from outside ourselves, which leads me to the second point. The power we must receive. Just as Romans 8 mentions the power of the flesh repeatedly, also in this section, you have repeated descriptions of the person, the power, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Let me just start by explaining or mentioning some of the ways the Holy Spirit is described. Uh, Verse 2 of chapter 8, you can have a read there. He is the Spirit of life who sets us free. It's a wonderful description. The spirit of life who sets you free. Uh, Verse 6, he is the spirit who brings life and peace to a person's life. So we're not to be afraid of the Holy Spirit, we are to welcome the Holy Spirit and embrace him and his ministry in our life. Verse 9, he is called both the spirit of God and the spirit of Christ. It's a very striking reference. He says, firstly, if you have a look at verse 9... It says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Within one breath, what he's saying is the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of the Father and the Son. And he comes to us as the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Father and the Spirit of Christ, the Son, and ministers their love and their work to our hearts and minds. And verse 10, having the Spirit is the equivalent of having Christ in you. He is Christ's Spirit. And when He lives in you, you actually have the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. Verse 11, say, you're filled with His power. Think with me about how we often describe people becoming Christians. And it's a wonderful thing when people become Christians. And people who have not grown up with Christ in a living way need to accept Him and bow the knee and have Christ become their Lord and Saviour. People need to become Christians. And we often will use the word, someone got converted. And it's a helpful phrase. And the whole notion of conversion is you go from one thing that you follow to another thing. And Christian conversion is about bowing the knee to Jesus as Lord. And Paul uses that phrase on a number of occasions. It's not the most common way Christians are described in the New Testament, but it is one way. Uh, Romans 16 verse 5, Eponetus is described as the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. That's Paul's words. He is the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Another way, and a more popular way in the Scriptures, though we don't tend to use it much these days, Is that a person gets saved. Now do you remember that, if you've been a Christian for a while, uh, you may remember that language, people getting saved. It's actually the most popular way Jesus talks about people coming to him, that he saves them. John chapter 10 verse 9, I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. Now I think one of the reasons we don't use that language anymore is because it picks up the whole notion of saved from judgment and the end and hell and a forgiveness of sins. And it's not a worldview, a way of thinking about life. We've lost our sense of history and the end in our culture today. People don't think history is hurtling towards a day of judgment anymore from which you get saved from. But yet Jesus said, I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. A very common description of people becoming Christians in the New Testament. But a third way, and it was very popular in the 70s and 80s amongst the Charismatics and Pentecostals, Was that someone would be born again do you remember that time that era and you would hear people describing their conversion as being born again and let me say they're picking up the words of the lord jesus at this point where he says very truly i tell you no one can see the kingdom of god unless they are born again it's a very helpful phrase to use today people need to be converted They need their life orientation turned away from themselves to the Lord Jesus. They need to be saved from judgment and receive forgiveness of sins. But we need to be born again and have the Spirit of God transform us. And let me say, it's not one or the other, it's all three together. When you're converted, you are saved and it's because you've been born again and the Spirit of God has entered your life. Have a look at verse 9, let's just read it quite uh, slowly. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. And he's talking to people who are Christians, who've accepted Christ. You're in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. In fact, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. You cannot be a Christian without having the Spirit of God. In other words, you must be born again. And that is the gift of God. To everyone who comes to the Lord Jesus, the Spirit of the Father, the Spirit of the Son comes and enters our life. If you are a Christian you have the Holy Spirit, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, well actually you don't belong to Christ, it's very simple. Did you know Uh, I often think there's a category of people, it's not often talked about but they're what I call the almost Christians. Have you heard of them? The almost Christians? They often look and sound a bit like Christians. In fact, often they sound very much like them. Uh, They often go to church, they're religious people, they even believe in God, but they're almost, they're not quite... You know what's not happened? They've never bowed the knee to Jesus as Lord. They've never been born again. They've got religion, not the Lord Jesus Christ. And they've not received the Holy Spirit. You see, Christians are people whom the Spirit of God lives in. And if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, actually you don't belong to Christ, is what Paul's saying. And friends, the almost Christian thinks that they can change their life by themselves. And they're comfortable in their moral progression and their self-righteous attitudes. The Christian is someone who's actually been humbled and broken before God, and then remade by God, in the power of His Spirit, through the wonderful work of the Lord Jesus. Have a look at verse 10, but if Christ is in you, if you've been born again, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, in other words, there is still the presence of sin in your life, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness which I take it is the righteousness of Christ, which we are given. And we are given life through the Holy Spirit. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Friends, it's good news. You can be transformed... Because the Spirit who took the dead Lord Jesus and raised him to life lives in you. And His Spirit can give you the power to overcome and be transformed. I never forget when I first began ministry meeting a man who was addicted to marijuana. His name was Neil. And he struggled with this addiction he tried to give it up and he said he became a christian and he said he didn't even realize it but he had no need for it no desire for it he'd been transformed as he came to christ and he said he realized a month later he hadn't spoken any pot for a month since he came to the lord jesus christ and you see the spirit of god comes into our life and gives us a new power to say no And it's not that the old nature is gone. What you see here is that there's a battle that takes place, but there is a new nature that is formed in us by the Spirit of God. You see, God does not expect that you'll obey Him without His involvement. He doesn't kind of set you on your way, okay, off you go by yourself, now obey me. No, Christians are not on their own when it comes to obedience. We are given the Spirit, He empowers our hearts and minds. But note... God does not expect to sanctify you without our involvement. There's no such thing as letting go and letting God. In other words, you kind of just, off you go, God. No, what we have to do is to pray for the Spirit of God to give us power every day so that we can say yes to the living God, so that we can follow His Word. And it's why reading our Bibles and praying and fellowship together is so important because they are the tools to have a Spirit-filled life, to be in the Word and prayer and to be in fellowship together on a Sunday and midweek as we read and pray and encourage each other, the Spirit will work in our hearts and minds to give it that conviction and strength to say no to the flesh and yes to God. I sometimes feel like there's two voices in my head, there's the old Bruce and there's the Spirit of God saying, no, don't listen to him, this is what you need to do. And he will take the word of God and convict you and convict me and give me strength to live. There's a power that we must embrace. It is the Holy Spirit. He's wonderful. But thirdly, there is a relationship we need to develop. When a person is born again, it is just the beginning. And we're justified through what Christ has done. What Paul is talking about here is this ongoing walk. Have a look at verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And there's a relationship in which transformation takes place. You see, it's not just... And I know when people get converted dramatically, that often there's a sense of which there's this a new person there, which is wonderful. But there's a whole shaping of our lives in Christ, that we journey from being a person who is self-centered towards a person who now resembles the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And while there'll be some dramatic changes often at the beginning, there's a journey that we go on as we are led by the Spirit of God. And I want to say one of the most important things to take hold of is the assurance we have in our relationship with God that we are his children. And you see, this chapter started with those wonderful words. You remember last week, Ray Gilear? What did he say? What were the words from Paul? There is now... No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why we sang the song this morning by Dave. In Christ, we are not condemned. We're actually the children of God. And transformation in the Christian life is a relationship journey where the Spirit of God works in us day by day to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15, the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves... So that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. You see, the natural language of people who've been born again and converted is to pray and know God as their Father. And to have a confidence in prayer that He's listening to us. Now I love what verse 16 says. You see, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Christian faith is not just an ideology, it's not just a set of ideas, it's, it's a relationship where you experience the living God in your life by His Spirit who brings the Father and the Son and the reality of them into our life so that we know Christ living in us, we know the Father guiding us, over us, and we know that without fear. He is Abba Father. I want to just stop now and get us to think about where we are at. And I wonder this morning if there's people who are almost there. You're almost Christians. You've never received the Holy Spirit into your life. Well, the reason for that is you've never bowed the knee and accepted Christ as Lord over your life. And if that's you this morning, I would call you to bow the knee and accept Christ over you as Lord and Saviour and pray that His Spirit will fill you and transform you. And so if that's you this morning, you're a seeker, come to the Lord Jesus and pray for Him to fill you with His Spirit so that you might be changed. But I wonder if there's people here this morning, and you may know people who are like this, who have wandered from the faith... And perhaps you've just wandered in today. Friends, when you become a Christian, the Spirit of God does not leave you. Though what can happen is we can wander away. And we can stray from serving and following Christ. And we can suppress the work of the Spirit in our life. But the wonderful thing is God is incredibly patient with us and with people who have backslidden, we mustn't give up on them because God doesn't give up on them. You don't go from being Christian, not Christian, Christian, not Christian. If you've been born again and God has called you into His family and you've been chosen by Him, if you've wandered away, the call is to come back and the Spirit of God will continue to harass you, if I can use that language, and convict you that you need to come back and start living for the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that's you this morning... That you've been wandering, I call you to come back and start living for Christ and if the Spirit of God is convicting you of that this morning, respond and hear His call. But lastly, there may be Christians here who are struggling with areas of your life that I mentioned earlier, with control or greed or immorality or fear and anxiety or substance abuse or whatever it is, Friends, the good news is we can come every day and pray for strength, for God to minister the power of His Spirit in our life. And I want to invite you, after the service is finished, if you want prayer for the Spirit of God to give you power to change, to invite you to come forward and be prayed for, I'd love to pray for you. But I want to stop now and ask us to be quiet and pray ourselves. And so I'm just going to give us a moment to be quiet and to pray and for us individually to seek God and pray for His Spirit to fill our hearts so that Christ might be Lord, so that we might be transformed, so that we might know the joy of knowing God and the assurance of being His children. Let us come and pray right now. Spirit of the living God, we pray, fall afresh on us. Father, for those who are almost there but not quite there, we pray, open their eyes to see you, fill their hearts with your Holy Spirit, may they see the Lord Jesus and bow the knee to him as Lord and Saviour. May you work so that they might be born again. For those who've wandered from the faith, we pray, call them back. May your spirit convict them and call them. And may they bow the knee once again and live with Jesus as their Lord. And for those of us who are struggling with besetting sins, with fears with doubts. I pray, Father, that you would minister your Spirit powerfully in their lives so that they would know a new strength, a new hope, a new life, a new assurance, a new conviction. And that you would give them the strength and the power to say no and to live for you and to know your peace and comfort in their lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, we're going to finish with a song. It's our collection song. You can put your Connect cards in there. That'd be great. But if you would like prayer for the Holy Spirit to be at work in your life, please do come forward at the end of the service. We'd love to pray for you.